On Tuesday, Affinity Magazine, a social justice teen magazine, tweeted out this insanity as the world reacted to the death of college student Otto Wambier, murdered by the North Koreans for the sin of removing a poster from a wall to bring home. Quote, watch whiteness work. He wasn't a kid or innocent. He can't go to another country and try to steal from them. Respect their laws. Unfortunately, this hot take, a take so hot it would actually consume the sun with its own heat, wasn't the only left-wing attempt to slam Warmbier for the brutal sin of whiteness. The Huffington Post ran a piece after Warmbier was sentenced a few months ago to over a decade in jail in North Korea, in which the author stated, quote, My mother's callous reaction to Michael Fay's sentence is my reaction to another young white man who went to an Asian country and violated their laws and learned that his, the shield his cis white male identity provides here in America is not Teflon abroad. I'm a black woman, though. The hopeless fear Warmbier is now experiencing is my daily reality, living in a country where white men like him are willfully oblivious to my suffering, even as they are complicit in maintaining the power structures which ensure their supremacy at my expense. He is now an outsider at the mercy of a government unfazed by his cries for help. I get it. Larry Wilmore, that moron, ripped Warmbier as a frat boy, and quote, frat boy privilege not valid in totalitarian dystopias. Funny. Wilmore never had anything to say about his rich and famous friends visiting the Gulag state of Cuba. This sort of stupidity from the left isn't uncommon. It merely demonstrates that when you see the world in terms of class, color, sexual orientation, when you are convinced that every white straight male is a victimizer, you are more likely to excuse atrocities against such fortunate people. Never mind, North Korea is filled with North Koreans, tortured, imprisoned, murdered, kept in slave-like conditions. Warmbier clearly had it coming because he was white. Extended to the politics of the United States, this sort of moral garbage leads to the breakdown of society. If you believe that every terrible thing that happens to a member of an outgroup is justified, you are a tribalist. Leftist politicians have spent decades pandering to such tribalism, and in response, there's been an upsurge of tribalism from the anti-left. The victims, like Otto Warmbier, remain victims. But if we fail to see them as victims because we're too concerned with the color of their skin, we become their victimizers too. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. All right, so you know, there's a lot of news breaking out of North Korea. We're going to talk about that and the history of how we got to where we are in North Korea and what it tells us about foreign policy. We're also going to talk about the breakdown in, in the healthcare bill, how that is working out. A lot to get to, various and sundry items. But before we do any of that, first I want to say thanks to our supporters over at ZipRecruiter. They are our sponsors, of course. And if you are concerned about the level of the employees that you've been hiring, as we so clearly are here at The Daily Wire, which is why we just fired half of them, then what we are going to do is we are going to provide you with a way to recruit the very best. And that is ZipRecruiter.com slash Daily Wire. You can post your job to 100 plus job sites with just one click, and then their powerful technology matches the right people to your job better than anyone else. ZipRecruiter is different because it doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them. 80% of jobs posted on ZipRecruiter get a qualified candidate it in 24 hours or less. No juggling emails or calls to your office. Simply screen, rate, manage candidates all in one place with ZipRecruiter's easy-to-use dashboard. You can find out today why ZipRecruiter is being used by businesses of all sizes, including over here at The Daily Wire. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Daily Wire, and you can now post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free. That is right. You post them for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Daily Wire. ZipRecruiter.com slash Daily Wire. Make sure you use that slash Daily Wire so that you get the free deal and also so that they can ensure that we sent you and, uh, and continue advertising with us. Okay, so for those who missed the news yesterday, I mean, this is just an awful, awful, awful story. Otto Warmbier is a 22-year-old University of Virginia student. He was apprehended by the North Korean government in prison for 17 months. Why? What did he do? 
Supposedly, he attempted to steal a propaganda sign praising North Korean dictator Kim Jong-un from a hotel. And then last week he was released, you recall, but he was released in a coma. And then he died at a Cincinnati hospital surrounded by his family. They released a statement, the family did. They said, it is our sad duty to report that our son Otto Warmbier has completed his journey home. Surrounded by his loving family, Otto died today at 2.20 p.m. It would be easy at a moment like this to focus on all that we lost. Future time that won't be spent with a warm, engaging, brilliant young man whose curiosity and enthusiasm for life knew no bounds. But we choose to focus on the time we were given to be with this remarkable person. You can tell from the outpouring of emotion from the communities that he touched, Wyoming, Ohio, University of Virginia, just to name two, that the love for Otto went well beyond his immediate family. When Otto returned to Cincinnati late on June 13th, he was unable to speak, unable to see, unable to react to verbal comments. He looked very uncomfortable, almost anguished. Although we would never hear his voice again, within a day, the countenance of his face changed. He was at peace. He was home. We believe he could sense that. We thank everyone around the world who has kept him and our family in our thoughts and prayers. We are at peace and at home, too. Just horrifying, horrifying story. Basically, there is no question that the North Korean government essentially beat the living crap out of him. They, they said that botulism and a sleeping pill had led to the coma, which is just nuts. U.S. doctor said that's just a lie. A spokesman for the U.S. State Department said the sentence meted out to Warmbier was a response to U.S. sanctions against North Korea for its nuclear activities. Warmbier's father said his son was forced to confess and he was detained for political purposes. He was active in Theta Chi fraternity and the Hillel Campus Organization's Jewish campus organization who was salutatorian at his high school. He was detained at Pyongyang Airport. The North Koreans claimed that he entered the country under the guise of a tourist and plotted to destroy North Korean unity with the, quote, tacit connivance of the U.S. government and under its manipulation. Apparently, he said that he was, he confessed to stealing a piece of North Korean propaganda. His confession said that he stole the banner for the mother of a friend who wanted it as a souvenir to hang on the church at home. He said he was offered a used car worth $10,000 as payment if he was detained and didn't return. $200,000 would be paid to his mother in the form of a charitable donation. He said that he took the chance because his family was suffering from very severe financial difficulties. He also said he was urged to steal the poster by a semi-secret ring society. His confession said, I never, never should have allowed myself to be lured by the United States administration to commit a crime in this country. No question he was coerced into doing all of this. He said, I entirely beg you, the people and the government of the DPRK, for your forgiveness. Please, I made the worst mistake of my life. And uh, apparently, according to his parents, they said that the Obama administration urged them to keep quiet. Fred said they feel you don't get involved that way. It lets the other side solve problems and make things happen. He said there's no excuse for the way the North Koreans treated our son. Well, obviously, it is an act of war, technically, for a foreign government to detain, torture, and murder an American citizen. This is horrific beyond all measure. It truly is. Here was President's response, uh, President Trump's response to the news that out of warm beer died yesterday. Here's what he had to say. Yeah, they were so happy to see him, even though he was in very tough condition, but he just passed away a little while ago. It's a brutal regime, and we'll be able to handle it. Okay, well, you know, it's, it's a weak statement, but honest to goodness, I don't know what people expect from Trump at this point. There are some measures that Trump could pursue against North Korea. Mainly, he needs to pursue sanctions against the Chinese government that sponsors North Korea. And that means cracking down on Chinese banks that sponsor North Korea. One of the problems here is, of course, that with some 13,000 artillery pieces pointed at Seoul, not all of which can hit the city in South Korea, but many of which can, the notion of a first strike on North Korea carries significant risk. 
The Chinese government's not going to do much to hamper Kim Jong-un, but obviously, aside from sanctions, we ought to increase propaganda into North Korea. We ought to push to throw North Korea out of the United Nations, for whatever that's worth. And we ought to consider, as I say, taking financial measures against the Chinese government, which has been sponsoring and keeping Kim Jong-un's evil regime in power for the last 50-odd years. Eric Bowling considered the possibility on Fox News that maybe we should preemptively strike North Korea over this. This is being directly affected by this North Korean crazy dictator. It may be time for a preemptive strike. Now, is, is that realistic to, to do a preemptive strike on North Korea? I don't know all the military details. You'd have to ask General Mattis about it. I'm sure that we have considered the possibility. I, I do want to trace, however, I think it's important because this has ramifications for general American foreign policy. I do want to trace for a second, you know, leave aside the left's evil reaction uh, to Otto Warmbier's original conviction for a moment, which is just totally evil. I want to point out that when it comes to American foreign policy, American foreign policy is sort of like a comedy of errors. Have you ever seen a comedy of errors, like a Shakespearean comedy of errors? Usually it starts with somebody telling a fib, and then that fib turns into three more fibs, and then those three more fibs turn into eight fibs. If you ever see a tragedy, it's the same thing. Someone makes a bad decision. That bad decision sort of radiates outward like a ripple in a pond and affects a, an ever-broadening number of people. That's true of American foreign policy as well. The reason that Otto Warmbier is dead today is not just because of Kim Jong-un. It's because Western foreign policy for nearly a century, there are a series of points in American foreign policy where all of this could have been stopped before it began with North Korea. And at virtually every turn, the wrong mistakes were made with regard to Western foreign policy. And this is why I'm not an isolationist. I think isolationism is, is an easy way to avoid making tough decisions in the now that have tremendous ramifications down the road. So to take the example of North Korea, back in 1917, you have to go all the way back to 1917, there's the Russian Revolution. In the middle of the Russian Revolution, which was happening in the middle of World War I, uh, there was an attempt by the communists to take over the country. First, Tsar Nicholas fell, and then after the Tsar fell, then there was a battle between the so-called whites and the reds. The whites were socialists and the reds were communists. The whites were led by a guy named Kerensky, and the reds were, of course, led by Lenin. And the Western world basically said, we want to help the whites win this war. So the British and Americans actually put troops on the ground in 1917-1918 in Russia. <coughs> it was called the Polar Bear Expedition uh, for the Americans. And the goal was to help the whites beat back the Reds. Now, if that had succeeded, there is no Soviet Union. The Soviet Union doesn't exist. The, the, murder, the mass murder of tens of millions of people over the course of the 20th century doesn't happen. But Woodrow Wilson ended up withdrawing because he didn't have public support for what really was a tiny operation. The same thing happened with Britain in 1919. The British pulled out against the advice of Winston Churchill. The British Prime Minister, a guy named Lloyd George, he said the country could, quote, not afford to continue so costly an intervention in interminable civil war. What was that costly intervention? The British to that point had lost 327 men. For the next 70 years, hundreds of millions of people would die thanks to the rise of the Soviet Union. Three decades later, the United States made a very similar decision. In 1945, China was at war. Shanghai Shek, the nationalist leader, was at war with Mao Zedong, the communist. And the Truman administration tried to bring all parties to the table, saying they didn't want to take sides in the Civil War. They actively stopped Chiang Kai-shek from wiping Mao off the map. In 1946, George Marshall, who was at the time the top American general, he helped stop an offensive by the nationalists that would have crushed Mao. Marshall actually berated Chiang Kai-shek. He said, under the circumstances of the continued advance of the government troops in Manchuria, I must repeat that a point is being reached where the integrity of my position is open to serious question. Therefore, I request you again to immediately issue an order terminating advances, attacks, or pursuits by government troops. 
Mao biographer Zheng Chang writes, Marshall's diktat was probably the single most important decision affecting the outcome of the Civil War. Shanghai Shek backed off because he was afraid that he would lose the money in American support and that Mao would win the war. As it turned out, that failure, the, the ceasefire that they engaged in allowed Mao to regroup and then Mao ends up taking over the country. How does this have ramifications for North Korea? Well, without Mao, there is no North Korea. Remember that the Korean War begins when the Chinese government decides that they are going to intervene and help out the, the, help out the, the North Korean the North Korean communists, and they cross into South Korea as well over that 38th parallel. The United States guarantees the safety of the South Koreans. Uh, we cross back over the 38th parallel and we drive them all the way back up to the Yalu River, at which point the Chinese pour 200,000 men over the border. General Douglas MacArthur at that point said, okay, let's bomb the Chinese bases. Let's topple the Chinese government. Let's have the nationalists come in and knock out, let's bring Shanghai Shek back and let's knock out the Chinese communists and uh, from Taiwan. And, uh, and Truman says, no, we can't do that. So South Korea is preserved as an independent, as an independent republic, but North Korea falls to the communists uh, in essentially late 1950. Now, does that mean that Truman made the right decision? You know, it's sort of unclear. This is one of those historical what-ifs that we're never going to know the answer to. Obviously, it would have been an even more costly war if we had not withdrawn below the 38th parallel. However, it is important to note that at each step along this chain, smaller sacrifices, because we avoided them, end up mandating larger interventions, right? If we had intervened in the Soviet Union in 1917 before it's the Soviet Union, maybe it costs a certain amount of money and a, a relatively small number of, of troops, each one of which is a tragedy, but when we're talking about foreign policy, you do have to talk about numbers. We don't do that, and so we end up in a Cold War and World War II, which probably never would have happened if there is no Soviet Union. Very difficult to imagine that the Nazis even rise to power in the absence of the Soviet Union, because the Nazis were a direct response, actually, to the rise of the Soviet Union and the rise of the communists in Nazi Germany, and pre-Nazi Germany, in Weimar Germany. If, so again, small sacrifice made then prevents the rise of the Soviet Union. Small sacrifice made in 1945 financially to Shanghai Shek and not tying his hands prevents the rise of the Chinese communists. Uh, and then you end up in the Korean War. And now we have basically an intractable problem. The North Koreans are not going to go away anytime soon. The reason I say this is because I think it has ramifications for how we deal with foreign policy today. There's a tendency on right and left to say that isolationism is the best possible solution to these problems. If we just stay out of the world's civil wars, if we just stay out of the world's problems, then things will get better. This is sort of the Obama administration tack with regard to Iraq. If we withdraw, everything will be fine. And then naturally you get ISIS. The same sort of thing happens all around the world on a regular basis. That doesn't mean every intervention is necessary and we have to carefully consider. And sometimes an intervention is going to fail. Sometimes an intervention is going to be counterproductive. But that doesn't absolve us of the obligation to look the future straight in the eye and determine whether we believe that this problem is going to balloon into a far larger problem over time. So again, I don't have any good solutions for North Korea. That's why I am not ripping on President Trump for having no good solutions for North Korea. There are no good solutions for North Korea at this point, short of pressuring the Chinese government, which so far we have not had the, the willingness to do. You know, President Trump was actually more right on North Korea before he met with the Chinese uh, than he was after he met with the Chinese government. It is tragic, it is horrifying, and please, for the love of God, people, do not go to evil dictatorships for any reason because you never know what is going to happen there. It's just horrifying. Okay, well, before we go any further, and I, I do want to talk about the, the democratic insanity that is currently breaking out over President Trump it's continuing, rather, over President Trump. Uh, also, I want to talk about Amazon.com because there's now a call from the left to break up Amazon, which is just nuts. But before I do that, I want to say thank you to our sponsors over at Mack Weldon. So, 
If you want the best underwear that are possible to have in the entire universe, MacWeldon.com is the place to go. These underwear are comfortable. They are antimicrobial. Uh, their undergarments are antimicrobial. They have antimicrobial shirts, which means they eliminate odor. Uh, they are not just comfortable, they are durable. I, I have several pairs of Mac Weldon underwear, and unlike other brands of underwear that fall apart after several wears, Mac Weldon looks basically the same today as it did when it came out of the package. Just fantastic stuff. Socks, shirts, undershirts, hoodies, sweatpants. Super comfortable. Stuff that you can wear in, stuff that you can wear out. When I go home, I don't dress like the million bucks that I do here, but I look as good as I possibly can, and I feel as good as I possibly can in my Mack Weldon gear because they are the best. So right now, if you go to MacWeldon.com and use promo code Shapiro, promo code Shapiro, you get 20% off your order at, at MacWeldon.com. That's spelled M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, MacWeldon.com, and get 20% off using that promo code Shapiro. Again, you know, the fact is that their, their underwear are higher quality than anything that you're going to get at one of the department stores. Really terrific stuff. I wear them every day. Not the same pair, guys. I, I change up the pairs. Okay. So, I, I think that Al Franken sort of gave away the game yesterday when he was talking about why it is that he opposes President Trump. Uh, so, Al Franken uh, came out and said that he is, uh, it's, it's, it's actually pretty spectacular. He came out and he said that the big problem here is Pence. You know, this, I think, demonstrates that when it comes to the left's attempt to get President Trump, it has very little to do with their actual worries about President Trump. They don't actually think that President Trump is the biggest problem. If I were a Democrat at this point, I would be a lot more afraid of Pence than Trump, just for political reasons. Pence seems more competent. He has more principles. He knows how to work with Congress. Trump has problems on all of these scores. But here's what Franken said. He said, quote, he's ideological. I consider him to be a zealot. This is about Pence. I think that in terms of domestic policy, certainly would be worse than Trump. So he's saying that we should be careful about getting rid of Trump because then you might end up with Pence, which just demonstrates this is all political hack job anyway. All the Russian collusion stuff, it has nothing to do with actual Russian collusion. It has to do a lot more with the fact that they are trying to hamstring Trump's agenda. And again, talking about Pence's efficacy, I think it's important to go back to 2016 when the Democrats were all saying that Rubio would be scarier than Trump to them in office. Trumpsters should take note. This demonstrates two things. One, you are absolutely correct that the left is out to get Trump for unjustified reasons. This is not about his corruption. This is not about anything terrible that he's done. But number two, you should take note that Democrats truly are more afraid of Republicans who are good at this than they are of Trump, which would suggest that Trump needs to get better at this, which brings us to the health care negotiations. So right now, Republicans are negotiating behind closed doors this health care bill. And we're not hearing out a lot from the Senate because Mitch McConnell run that, runs that place as a tight ship. I don't have a problem with them negotiating about it behind closed doors. I do have a problem with them releasing the bill and then within five seconds voting on the bill. That's something the Democrats did as well. It's not good when the Obama people did it. It's not good when the Trump people do it. Here's Bernie Sanders saying Republicans are cowardly for refusing to release any sort of text. We are not a poor country. No. We should not be talking about severe austerity efforts. We are the richest country in the history of the world. Most people don't know that because almost all new income and wealth is going to the people on top. But you do know that, and Elizabeth knows that, and I know that. And our job is to ask the simple question, okay, does Obamacare have problems? Absolutely. Deductibles too high, too many people remain uninsured, prescription drug costs too high, etc. How do we deal with it? That's the rational discussion. That's right. The answer is not to make a difficult situation much, much worse. And again, getting back to the initial point, our Republican colleagues 
are so cowardly, are so frightful that the American people will learn what's in their legislation. They refuse to have one hearing, one open discussion. And I am very about confused about the lack of pudding cups in this room. Well, I think that's right. I think that's right, Senator Sanders. I, I love that Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren in the same place at the same time. The universe should actually implode on itself out of the socialistic stupidity in that room. You know, Elizabeth Warren is not a dumb lady, but she certainly talks dumb when it comes to economics and pandering to her leftist base. Look, Bernie Sanders is wrong about a lot of things here when he says that we're the richest country in the history of the world. We can afford health care for everyone. Um, no. Okay, we are the richest country in the history of the world. We also have the most debt of any country in the history of the world. And that is not going to go away if you start paying for everybody's health care. And then you're going to have to ration everybody's health care because you can't have unlimited cost and unlimited coverage. That's not the way that works. But he's right about the fact that Republicans are ramming this thing through. I have one thing to say about this. If somebody is keeping a secret from you, unless it's a Valentine's Day gift from your significant other, it's going to be bad. Okay, there's never been a secret kept from you that ends up being a great secret when it comes out. So the fact that Republicans are doing all this behind closed doors should not be encouraging to a lot of Republicans who actually want to see Obamacare repealed. Apparently, they're going to dump a lot of money into it, Obamacare style. That's not good for the Republicans. I'm going to talk a little bit more about that. Plus, the leftists attempt to shut down Amazon.com in just a second. But for that, you have to go over to DailyWire.com right now and subscribe. Plus, we're going to deconstruct the culture today. Lots of deconstructing of the culture. We talk Beatles and Katy Perry, all sorts of fun things today on deconstructing the culture. You want to check that out. It's $8 a month. Gets you your subscription. And if you want an annual subscription, then you get a free signed copy of this very book. Say it's so, a book by me and my pops about the Chicago White Sox 2005 championship season. It's really more about baseball and fathers and sons. You don't have to be a Sox fan in order to enjoy the book. Uh, obviously, if I thought that you did have to be a Sox fan, we wouldn't have written it because there are three of us, my dad and me, and sort of, well, two and a half, President Obama says he is. But in any case... You can get a signed copy of Say It So when you become an annual subscriber. Plus, you get to be part of the mailbag, which we now do on Fridays. You get to be part of Andrew Clavin's mailbag. We have some brand new shows that are coming that you're going to be able to be a part of. If you become an annual subscriber or subscriber, go over to dailywire.com right now and subscribe. Or check us out later over at iTunes or SoundCloud. Make sure that you subscribe, download the show, and make sure that you also leave us a, a, a review. We always appreciate it. We are the largest conservative podcast in the nation. Okay, so I want to talk about this piece that I thought was really interesting on another topic, but it goes to kind of the Bernie Sanders view of the world that corporations must be brought to heal, that corporates, uh, they're the worst people in the world, they used to be poor. The people used to be poor, and they were virtuous, and they were wonderful. But now, but now, they are terrible, terrible people who seek to exploit the labor of others. Not like me, I bought a second vacation home, but that is because I deserve it. Look at me, I'm old, I'm crazy, and where else would I put my pudding cups if I did not have an entire storage facility on a lake somewhere? What do you expect of me? Do you expect me to live in penury just because I like socialism? In any case, there's a guy named Douglas Rushkoff. Of, uh, of Fast Company. Fast Company is a tech website, and he's now calling for Amazon.com to be broken up. And I think this is a revealing look into the stupidity of the left when it comes to economics. So why exactly does he want Amazon to be broken up? Because they, brought, because they bought grocery chain Whole Foods. Now, Whole Foods is super duper, 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 duper expensive. Okay, Everybody in LA shops at Whole Foods because it's organic, and you get all the vegetables that I hate and think taste terrible, and you can get kale of 11 different varieties that have been pooped on by a unicorn and all this stuff. They bought Whole Foods because they want to get into the grocery business. 
To which I say, excellent, because Amazon is awesome at everything. But Rushkoff doesn't like it. He says, unease is widespread and has raised new calls for breaking up Jeff Bezos' impending monopoly by force. Surely the company, which now generates 30% of all online and offline retail sales growth in the United States and already controls 40% of internet cloud services, has reached too far. Okay, this is idiotic. First of all, if you want to talk about breaking up monopolies, monopolies own 100% of the market. They don't own 90% of the market. They don't own 50% of the market. They certainly don't own 30% of the market. The idea that if you own 30% of the market, you're a monopoly and you need to be broken up is just insipid. That's like saying the Super Bowl is a monopoly because 60% of Americans watched it. The purpose of breaking companies up via governmental fiat is supposed to be that they are engaging in regulatory capture, like they pay off politicians and then the politicians guarantee them some sort of monopoly, right? That's, that's an actual monopoly. Or a monopoly exists when, for example, they're the only people who have control over a patent. This was the case with EpiPen, uh, thanks to government regulation in the United States, and they drive up the price into insane levels, and then the government is forced to break them up because they don't want one company controlling the entire market. Because if you do that, then they can charge monopolistic prices. What is not a monopoly and what should not act in, should not be considered a monopoly, is a company that has a large market share, even 100% market share, but that is great for consumers. Because the bottom line is that it is not the job of the federal government to protect companies from competition. It is the job of the federal government to protect consumers from fraud. That is what the job of the government is. It's to protect your rights from being violated, but you don't have a right to receive less competition from Amazon.com. Robert Bork, who obviously was famous for having been nominated to the Supreme Court and failing, and he wrote a couple of fantastic books on America's Supreme Court and, and also the, the sort of social, the social conservative philosophy. He wrote one called The Tempting of America, another one called Slouching Toward Gomorrah. He wrote a much less well-known book outside of legal service circles, but very well-known in legal cir circles, called The Antitrust Paradox. And he talked about the purpose of preventing monopoly was consumer welfare. Okay, well, if you are worried about consumer welfare, you should leave Amazon the hell alone. Amazon is awesome. Yeah, I don't care whether you like Jeff Bezos or not, that's irrelevant to me. Amazon is the best company in America for consumers, bar none. Its prices are the lowest, its delivery is the fastest, it has made life better for hundreds of millions of people. They have Amazon Fresh now, so you can have food delivered directly to your house. But Rushkoff doesn't care about the consumers. What he says is that Amazon is mean. They're driving other companies out of business. Ooh, he says, whatever you may think of Jeff Bezos, and whether or not antitrust regulations can justifiably be applied to a company whose expansion doesn't raise but actually lowers costs for end consumers may be beside the point. Why is it beside the point whether a company is good for consumers? That's the whole purpose of a company. If the company is doing a great job for consumers, what business is it of yours to have the government be sicked on that company? He says, many of us get that something is amiss, but are ourselves so deeply enmeshed in the logic of last century's version of free market industrial capitalism, we can't quite bring ourselves to call this out for the threat it poses to our markets, our economy, even our planet. What the hell? How is Amazon buying a grocery chain and then providing lower prices and better delivery to people who can't otherwise get it? How is that a threat to the environment and our economy and our markets? What in the world? Amazon has to be destroyed. Really, what Rushkoff is arguing is that Amazon has to be destroyed because they're too good at their, at their business. Right? He says that Amazon has destroyed the retail bookseller business. Now, look, I'm somebody who loves bookstores. When I go to a, a city, the first, place I, the first thing I do is look around and see if there's a local bookstore because I love browsing bookstores. They're just wonderful. Use bookstores particularly. What he says is that Amazon destroyed the retail bookseller business because, quote, they use a war chest of capital to undercut prices, put competitors out of business, become the sole employer in the community, turn employees into part-time shift workers, lobby for deregulation, and effectively extract all the value from a given region before closing up shop and moving to the next one. 
Except that Amazon doesn't actually close up shop and move to the next one. Amazon is an online business. If you're living in the middle of nowhere, you can use Amazon. Maybe you didn't have a local bookstore. Maybe your local bookstore had seven books in it that were overpriced. Now, listen, I'm one of these people who loves bookstores, but I'm hypocritical enough that when I go to a bookstore, I actually check the price on Amazon on my phone to see the price differential. As it turns out, cheap paperback novels, you may as well get them at the store because unless you have Amazon Prime, you're only going to save a buck or two if you get it off Amazon. But the fact is that Amazon is a better deal for consumers. It is a better deal. And Amazon knows it. And by the way, Amazon is opening up some retail booksellers now. Amazon is starting to open up some brick and mortar stores because they know that people like browsing bookstores. Your life has gotten better because of technology. Your life has gotten better because of companies that do good things. Your life gets worse when those companies interact with government to effect regulatory capture and take over particular government businesses. But it is insane to suggest that Amazon ought to be broken up because it's somehow doing something bad. Okay, Amazon saves me thousands of dollars a year. I'm an Amazon partisan. It's not extractive of my wealth for me to get a better deal. This is the same sort of idiotic nonsense that says that tariffs are good because if we don't have tariffs, then certain American companies that are not competitive in the global sector will go out of business. Yes, but as a consumer, I want to be able to buy. I have the freedom to buy whatever the hell I please. Unless you're affecting a tariff for national security reasons, unless you're sanctioning North Korea or China or something, then the idea that you as a government have the right to intervene in the market economy and prevent me as a consumer from buying what I want to buy because it's mean to a local business that you like. If you like that local business so much, you can convince all of your friends to shop there. I, I, it's, it, I do think it's sort of hilarious. There was a poll that Daily Wire worked with, uh, with a, a polling company to, to release yesterday about how much young people would be willing, up to, uh, willing to give up in order to fight global warming. And what they said in the end was that, it, it, I want to find the actual poll statistic because it really is pretty hilarious. Uh, essentially, here it is. 60% of millennials were willing to give up $10 or less to fight climate change. Uh, What's Goodly did an online survey. They asked 1,250 millennials from all over the country how much they'd be willing to personally give this year to fight climate change, the, the scourge of the century. Right? And the survey asked millennials, how much would you be willing to personally give to the government this year in order to fight climate change? A total of 60% of respondents said that they offered either no money or they were only willing to hand over 10 bucks. Right? 27% said 10 bucks a year. 33 said they give out $0. 22% said that they'd be willing to give $100. Altogether, a total of 82% were unwilling to give more than $100 to combat mankind's greatest threat. And nearly two-thirds of Trump supporters offered nothing to fight global warming. 17% of Clinton supporters were unwilling to personally give any cash at all. Okay, even among the Clintonians, I believe the final statistic here is 17 plus 23, that's 43 plus 31, is 74%. 74% of young millennials who voted for Hillary Clinton were willing to give less than $100. Only one problem with that, global warming regulation is going to cost thousands of dollars per person in increased costs. It's just another one of those situations where people like to whine about the way that the world works and then shop like they mean it. So, you know, enough of this hypocrisy. If you like shopping at Amazon and you don't like the impact of shopping at Amazon, that's your own damn fault. Stop trying to claim that a company should be put out of business just because you're mad at it and you can't convince people to do what you want them to do. That is tyrannical. Okay, time for some things I like and some things I hate, and then we'll deconstruct some culture. So, uh, before we get to things I like, however, I want to say thank you to our sponsors over at Realty Shares. So, 
if you are somebody who's looking to invest, and right now you should be taking your money, if you're a young person particularly, and you should be looking to invest, particularly if you've got disposable income, Realty Shares, R-E-A-L-T-Y, shares.com, has demolished the walls between you and real estate investing. You don't need billions or millions or even tens of thousands of dollars to invest in vetted real estate assets. Hundreds of people invest fractionally, which reduces the cost of an initial investment. So you put in like five grand, somebody else puts in five grand, and all of a sudden you guys have all invested in an apartment building or a strip mall. And they have industry professionals who underwrite and perform detailed due diligence on all of these deals. It's free to sign up at realtyshares.com and browse the investments. Getting set up takes just a few minutes. Then you can manage and invest straight from your phone or computer through their simple, secure online process. If you make 200 grand a year, you may qualify. Find out today at realtyshares.com slash Ben. That's realtyshares.com slash Ben. And right now, if you go to realtyshares.com slash Ben, you get $100 toward your first investment. So it costs you $4,900 to invest instead of 5,000 if you want to invest in a particular project. You get that $100 off. Go today to realtyshares.com slash Ben for $100 toward your first investment. Again, R-E-A-L-T-Y-Shares.com slash Ben. $100 toward that first investment. It's not an offering of securities. Private investments are highly liquid and risky, are not suitable for all investors. Past performance not indicative of future results. Securities offered to accredited investors through North Capital Private Securities member FINRA SIPC. So go over and check out Realty Shares dot com slash Ben for that hundred dollars off. Okay, time for some things I like and then we'll do some things I hate. So things I like, uh, we're doing witch stories and books and plays today. So Rosemary's Baby, classic about uh, a coven of witches. Super creepy. This was directed uh, by, uh, I believe this is a Roman Polanski film, isn't it? Um, I uh, yes, it's a Roman Polanski film. Thank you, Mathis, for the confirmation. Uh, Rosemary's Baby, it's uh, Roman Polanski for as scummy a human being as he is, um, was also a, a, a terrific director. And Rosemary's Baby is super duper creepy, even though the premise is really quite absurd. Here's the preview for Rosemary's Baby. Seven, eight, eight, eight. Originally, the smallest apartment was a nine. They've been broken up into four, fives, and sixes. This room, for instance, it would make a lovely nursery. Oh, it's a Wonderful problem, I love it. Let's have a baby. That's what up? Congratulations. Really? Congratulations. Minnie Castavet has a barbarian. I'm gonna have her make a daily drink for you. The bottom line is that, uh, number one, uh, anytime you have somebody singing a uh, lullaby, bad things are going to happen unless it's a children's movie. So <laughs> whenever you hear a soundtrack with a lullaby, just prepare to freak out. It's actually a super creepy movie. It's basically these two people move into an apartment complex and they decide to get pregnant and it turns out Spoiler alert that there are witches involved and Satan and all sorts of good stuff. Um, you know, one of the things about horror films that I know that, that Andrew Clavin really appreciates is this is the, the reinforcement of the notion that there is something beyond what we know out there, uh, that there is something supernatural out there. I'm not a big fan of witches. I, as a Jew, I'm not even a big fan of the, the sort of myths surrounding Satan. But 
the movie is certainly effective and creepy. Uh, one of the best horror movies of all time, Rosemary's Baby. Okay, other things that I like. This was going around on Twitter yesterday, and I just love it. Uh, there's a, a personals ad, basically, from 1865. It just goes to show you uh, how maybe our standards have risen, but also fallen. So this is a, a young man uh, who is putting out this notice. It says, chance for a spinster. A young man in Aroostook County, Maine, advertising for a wife, speaks of himself as follows, quote, I am 18 years old. So number one, first of all, the fact that you have an 18-year-old looking for a wife is a big difference. Now people don't grow up until they're 28. He says, I'm 18 years old, have a good set of teeth, and believe in Andy Johnson, the Star Spangled Banner, and the 4th of July. Okay, so patriotism was actually a selling point back then. Kind of cool. He says, I've taken up a state lot, cleared up 18 acres last year, and seeded 10 of it down. My buckwheat looks first rate. The oats and potatoes are bullies. This is a guy trying to brag to this to, to potential mates. Uh, that he's going to be able to provide. I've got nine sheep, a two-year-old bull, and two heifers beside a house and barn. I want to get married. I want to buy bread and butter, hoop skirts, and waterfalls for some person of the female persuasion during life. That's what's the matter with me, but I don't know how to do it. Okay, I have to say, isn't that adorable? I mean, it's it's sad that it's 1865, So, but I assume that... I wish I knew who this person was and found out whether they actually found their mate, but what were they looking for? Okay, basic health, right? Have a good set of teeth. Patriotism. Right? believe in the Star Spangled Banner and the 4th of July. Uh, they believe in hard work. He's 18 years old. He's already seeded acres of, of wheat and oats, and he's bringing up a farm. He wants to get married, and then, he's, and then he believes it's his job to provide for his wife. There's something charming about that, okay? For all the talk about patriarchy, this does not sound like the patriarchy. This does not sound like I want a wife to boss around and beat. This sounds like I want a woman to provide for and to be my partner in life, to be my helpmate, as the Bible would say. You know, not everything that's old is bad, gang, and some of these ideas I think would be well taken uh, by couples who are looking for marriage today because certain things don't change. Okay? These are still things that men should be looking to provide to their wives, and these are still things that women should be looking for in a potential husband. Okay, things that I hate. So, Katy Perry has decided that she wants to look like Miley Cyrus and or a teenage preteen, neo-Nazi with this haircut, but she's decided that it's no longer worthwhile looking sexy. She is now going to look delusional. So uh, I tweeted this out yesterday. This is a picture of Katy Perry, who is wearing a pair of striped pajamas and clutching a pillow and lying on red stairs for some reason. I have no idea where this picture came from, but I find it hilarious. Uh, I tweeted out, and you're going to sniffle Hear me roar. Okay, so feminism has ruined Katy Perry. <laughs> Katy Perry used to be uh, smart enough to recognize that the feminist movement was basically, in modern incarnation, anti-man, and she didn't want to be that, but now she's woke. Katy Perry has gotten woke. And as I mentioned a couple podcasts ago, the term woke is unbelievably stupid and ridiculous. Okay, woke just means that you now believe leftist tripe and are going to promulgate it for money. It's just silly, and so I could not stop laughing at this. I probably should put it in things I like because I, this picture is hilarious to me. Uh, this is why you should subscribe so you can see a picture of Katy Perry wearing a haircut that looks like it's from an in sync picture from 1997 and a pair of striped pajamas while lying on the floor looking like she wants to, like she is depressed and suicidal. Yeah, just, turns out that money and 100 million Twitter followers can't buy you happiness. Okay, other things that I hate. So, I want to uh, correct something that, that I said yesterday on the show about these idiots who stormed the stage uh, at Julius Caesar. Uh, I had mentioned that uh, I had said that it was alt-right protesters because that was the widespread media coverage that it was alt-right. Uh, Jack Pasabajigabaga, 
Uh, he has praised the alt-right in the past. He's an alt-right fellow traveler at the very least. He maintains, I guess, now that he's not alt-right. But uh, the, per, uh, the other person who stormed the stage is a gal named Laura Loomer. I had said alt-right protesters, and, uh, and so she said, I'm not alt-right. Uh, I'm Zionist. So uh, I apologize for getting that wrong. If she's not alt-right, she should stop hanging out with the alt-right. I also assume that only the alt-right would be stupid enough to storm the stage at a Julius Caesar performance in order to protest against anti-Trump rhetoric or some such nonsense. In any case, she goes on with Sean Hannity. Remember, the very same Sean Hannity who was tweeting yesterday that he wouldn't take a position on this particular issue when I said, this is really stupid, why are you doing this? Well, he took a position last night and he had on Laura Loomer and now they are promoting exactly the same sort of snowflakery that you see from the left. Listen to what she has to say and understand that if you switch the words left and right, this is exactly what leftists say about shutting down speeches on college campuses. Look, this is assassination porn, right? So the left is taking pleasure in, in watching an assassination attempt on President Trump. Shakespeare once said that violent delights uh, lead to violent ends, right? And so when you're going to delight in the assassination of our president, it's going to have a violent end. Okay, and then she goes on to declare herself a hero. Uh, when she says that rhetoric is going to have a violent end, when you say that you know saying bad things about Trump or having what she calls assassination porn about Trump is going to lead to a violent end, okay, this idea that if you say if you depict the Julius Caesar, which again a play in which myriad leaders over the course of time have taken the role of Julius Caesar, this is not new. It happened to Obama in 2011. They did a production in Maine with Hillary Clinton in the Julius Caesar role. When she does this routine, again, I'm not saying the play is good. I'm not saying that this is smart. I don't think it is. In fact, in Deconstructing the Culture, I'm going to explain exactly what I do think the problem is with plays like this. But this idea that rhetoric innately leads to violence, even when it's not calling for violence, uh, the idea that this is is excuse to shut down other people's free speech, to shut down the play, as Laura Loomer wanted to do, or that she saved Trump's life by shutting down the play. I mean, I guess not all heroes wear capes, gang, but I'm pretty sure it's the Secret Service doing that job and not Laura Loomer shutting down a play for a bunch of effete liberals in New York City. Uh, have you seen that crowd? You really think that crowd, like, these are the people who are going to go out and attempt assassinations? Okay, it's a bunch of snobbish liberals going to see Shakespeare in the park. Give me a break. Um, but again, this sort of self-appointed Praetorian guard for Trump, it's so stupid, and it's the same thing the left does on campuses on a daily basis. Okay, time to deconstruct some culture. So, uh, the, there's a new song out by Moby. Moby is unlistenable and terrible, and he has a new song out called In This Cold Place. We will play some of this animation for you. It's supposed to be a takeoff, uh, the music video, on the uh, on kind of old Warner Brothers cartoons, but it's laced through with leftist social messaging, including President Trump blowing up. Uh, here is some of this idiotic music video. So for those who can't see, it's a cute bunny carrying a sign that says, more fast songs about the apocalypse. And the music video opens in what appears to be New York City. And there's a kid in an apartment complex watching TV. And he's watching the Care Bears. Oh god, I can't believe we're gonna have to listen to some of this. He changes the channel, and it's, and it's Robot Show, and now it's like Fun with Dick and Jane, and now it's He-Man, and now it's Cartoons. Now the now the the Care Bears are hitting each other, building a wall, and shooting at other Care Bears. And then bunnies are holding signs that say no bunny is illegal and beating beaten around. And then there's a female superhero who's being sexually harassed by male superheroes. And now this kid's parents are fighting. The world's a terrible place thanks to the right. That's the idea here. 
Now there are cows who are dancing, and then suddenly they are turned upside down and gutted for meat. A chicken is shot up with steroids, and then it turns into a skeleton. And then there's an there's some bat cat who's running the environment, and some woman drinking dirty water. And then there are lizards arguing against each other in Parliament. A superhero crying over dead children. The guy's just getting older, watching TV. And then a cat shooting mice with a machine gun and a fascist who's wearing a Donald Trump tie. We're going to get to Trump any second here. And there's Robot Trump. Robot Trump who turns into a swastika and then turns into a dollar sign wrecking Midtown Manhattan. Okay, so this music is is Garbaggio. The video is Garbaggio. It's creepy as all hell. Um, but I, here is the uh, here is the point of all of this, and the reason that it is important. Not because you can understand anything that they're saying. When you watch all this, you have to say to yourself, what made Moby think that this was a good idea? What made him think that this was smart or effective? And the answer is Moby works inside a bubble, just like the people who put up this Julius Caesar production in New York City. They weren't doing it because they actually wanted to make a social commentary about how it's bad to murder even dictators who are unfriendly to you, people you don't like. What they actually wanted to do was they wanted to do a hint, hint, nod, nod, smirk about, wouldn't it be funny, look how we're making fun of Trump. Isn't that funny? Look how we're making fun of Trump. And Moby's doing the same thing here with the robot Trump with the dollar sign. And the idea here is, look how in I am. I am so woke. The left has just become a bunch of people signaling to each other that they are woke. Now, does that mean that everything is going to break into violence, that people are going to kill each other? No, but what it does mean is it does mean it's very difficult to have a conversation with people on the other side of the aisle when you are actively suggesting all the time that all of their motivations are bad, that they are cruel and evil and nasty when it's all character attacks. I made this point in the book Bullies that I wrote four years ago that was a New York Times bestseller, so I'm not new to this argument, okay? I've been arguing the left has been doing this for years. None of that justifies me saying that this Moby video should be taken offline, for example, or this, or, or running up into the middle of a Julius Caesar production and proclaiming that you saved Trump's life. Honestly, if that's the way that you believe, then there would have been a case to stop President Trump from saying bad things about President Obama, mean bad things about President Obama being illegitimate, born in Kenya, all the rest of this. And then he becomes president of the United States on the basis of some of that, gens up support on the basis of some of that. It works both ways, folks. This is not to say that the right is equally as abhorrent as the left when it comes to these sorts of character attacks. I don't think it's even close. But the minute that you start equating words with violence, you get yourself into trouble. So two things can be true at once. One, this stuff can be bubble stupid, as my friend John Nolte says. This stuff can be bubble stupid and damaging to the social fabric. And two, it does not cause violence that necessitates or justifies you shutting down people's exercise of free speech that you find abhorrent. This is really, really not difficult stuff. Okay, uh, other deconstructing the culture. So a couple of weeks ago this month marks the 50th anniversary of the Sgt. Pepper album. Now I know that there are a lot of people who are addicted to the Beatles, love, 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 love the Beatles. A couple of things came out this month that I think are wonderful. One is that Yoko Ono admitted that she basically got a co-writing credit on Imagine. So you don't have to blame Lennon anymore for the stupidity of the song Imagine, legitimately the worst song ever written in the history of humanity. Uh, instead, you can blame Yoko Ono, who basically destroyed the Beatles. But you know, there are a lot of people who worship at the altar of the Beatles. I'm not one of these people. I understand their musical talents. I understand they certainly knew how to how to create a catchy tune. Um, you know, McCartney's exactitude about his sound was legendary, obviously. Um, but I want to talk about their impact on the culture because 
the, the Beatles' impact on the culture was largely negative. They came around, and when they first started, a lot of what they did was sort of innocent pop rock, and then they got in this very drug-infused period. So the album Revolver is really a reflection of their descent into drugs and madness a little bit. Uh, there are a couple songs on the album that are obviously inspired by LSD. Uh, the song She Said, She Said was an LSD song uh, written by John Lennon after having visited with um, Peter Fonda, who slipped surreptitiously, I believe, LSD into his drink, and then all the Beatles, except for Paul, tried LSD, uh, which is why Paul refused to play on this particular song. It's actually George playing the bass on this particular song. But here is the song, She Said, She Said, which originally was He Said, He Said, and was supposed to be about Peter Fonda. obviously a new step forward in rock. I would say in some ways it's a step backward in rock because it's not particularly more sophisticated in any way, this particular song, uh, than a lot of the rock that came before it. It's certainly not more sophisticated than the jazz that was contemporary with it and came before it. Uh, so it was a step forward in, in some ways in rock, but it was also a step forward into the drug culture. The, the Beatles had been doing pot regularly since Bob Dylan introduced them to it in 1964, and it starts coming across on a lot of their songs. Half of the Revolver album is basically about drugs. The song Tomorrow Never Knows is also about the use of LSD, apparently. I mean, this is 60s music, right? If you go back to Let Me Hold Your Hand, I Want to Hold Your Hand, that's not 60s music, that's 50s music. This is 60s music, and this is the beginning of the destruction of pop culture. So, as musically talented as the Beatles are, and there's no question they were, their impact on the culture, the mainstreaming of the drug culture, was disastrous. The song, Come Together, uh, was actually written as a, uh, it was supposed to be a gubernatorial anthem for Timothy Leary, who is the, who is the great progenitor of the LSD movement. His, his basically, his, his slogan, if I recall correctly, was uh, drop in, drop out, uh, basically drop drugs and then drop out. Um, and uh, he was going to run for governor against Ronald Reagan until he was arrested for drug offenses. Come Together was supposed to be their tribute to him, which is why the song makes no sense. It's a bunch of words strung together randomly. It's also a ripoff of an old Chuck Berry song. In any case, I want to point this out because while it's important to recognize musical contributions, it's also important to recognize the negative cultural contribution that the Beatles are responsible for in mainstreaming a drug culture that would not have been mainstreamed at the level that it was without them. Okay, so we'll be back here tomorrow with more discussion, debate. Also, tomorrow we'll do some more Bible talk because it's Wednesday. Uh, I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, Pure Talk believes in American values and that free 
should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So, I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving. 